Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here on the Amazing Business Radio Show on the CBS and the Play It Network. And I am excited, and this is why we call this Amazing Business Radio, because I am so excited about our guest today. Jared Kleinert is 19 years old. And please continue to listen because you are about to be blown away by this 19-year-old who is the co-founder and co-author of a book, 2 Billion Under 20. And we're going to talk about that. And it's a community and a company that brings together some of the world's smartest and most ambitious youth in order to inspire others around the world to act on their passions. And Jared has done exactly that. He really is amazing when you hear about his story, and you'll hear about it in a moment. He runs a marketing consulting firm. Now, wait a minute. He's 19. He just graduated high school a year ago. He's running a marketing and consulting firm, and he has worked with some amazing companies, and he helps companies hire uh, and work with millennials. And he is globally in demand as a public speaker. I know he just came back from South Africa. And uh, he also talks about youth entrepreneurship. And he talks about millennials in the workplace. And I think that's a real important topic that we're eventually going to get into. Now, prior to being 19 and graduating high school, Jared began his first company at the age of 15. And he worked for two VC-backed Silicon Valley startups and was named the definition of social entrepreneur by Forbes magazine at age 17. What was I doing at age 17? Well, I can, well, actually, I can't really tell you that here on, on radio, but we're going to talk about his book, Two Billion Under 20. We're going to talk about millennials. And right now, we are talking to Jared Kleinert. Hello, Jared. Welcome to the show. Dude, I'm going to take the recording of that intro and just use it for all of my talks in the future. That was amazing. <laughs> well, you know what? You gave me some good bullet points, but I also know you. And you and I actually met probably about two years ago. You were still in high school. Uh, we met when I came down to Southern Florida, where you uh, were going to school, living with your parents. And uh, we talked about the speaking business. And you came to a program that I was doing on how to get into and build uh, not so much a rock star business, but a business that's solid as a rock. And ever since then, you, have not, you and I have been talking about books and all kinds of things. And here you are. You wrote the book. And by the way, before we even get into the book, something that we didn't plan to talk about that's not on any of your bullet points, but you have something that you titled the Gap Year Experience. And that's really what you're doing right now. You graduated um, not even, uh, well, right about a year year ago, and college perhaps might be looming up in the next uh, few months, but you decided to take a gap year and do some incredible things. So before we get into the book, which you did during your gap year, let's talk about that whole mindset, your gap year. Sure. I mean, you're already hinting at the second book before the first book has even dropped, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I, I took on uh, research for my second book, which I've been calling the Gap Year Experiments, um, have done a bunch of different Tim Ferriss-esque experiments in business, health, uh, lifestyle design, and relationships in order to help people become more conscious when making you know, major life decisions. And I took a gap year in between high school and college in order to do this and have been using my year off, or not really off, but off from higher education as a case study for people of all ages to really just become more conscious of their decisions and their actions. Yep. So it's been quite fun. I've done everything from consults uh, for New York Times bestselling authors to 
doing posture training with Miss West Virginia and traveled the world. And it's just been really incredible. I'm, I'm equally excited for that to become a, a second book as I am for two billion under twenty. It's been a, it's been quite a journey. Wow. And by the way, you mentioned Tim Ferriss-esque. Tim Ferriss is a prolific author who wrote a great best-selling book. It's probably still one of the top sellers, if not still on a bestsellers list uh, for New York Times. I mean, I don't know how long that was on there, a couple of years or more uh, on the list. But he wrote a book, The 40-Hour or The 4-Hour Workweek, not The 40-Hour Workweek. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I think uh, The 4-Hour Workout or something like that. Uh, but just some great books on lifestyle, which you've done. And I think you're epitome of that. And I just want to say, uh, you took posture lessons from the uh, <laughs> Miss, was it Virginia? Is that what you said? Or Miss West Virginia? Yeah, Miss Miss West Virginia and then uh, Miss West Virginia Collegiate. Okay. I can only imagine uh, that was such a pickup line if I've ever heard one. Hey, uh, can I take <laughs> some posture lessons? <laughs> Come on. So what was that? Yeah, what did you do? Posture lessons. No, so um, one of my one of my friends and, and one of the members of the two billion under twenty community is uh, a girl by the name of Kristen Leonard. She's an author in her own right and a speaker, and is also Miss West Virginia Collegiate for 2015. And I might I might actually see her this weekend as we record this because she's competing for Miss USA Collegiate. But I, I went there. I'm like, hey, you know, I've been doing a bunch of different health experiments, and one experiment I want to do is to learn how to have better posture. And I'm thinking about this, like, who has really good posture? Uh, pageant queens and, you know, girls who compete in pageants. So I was like, Christian, do you have any buddies or can I can I train with you and your coach? And, you know, she said, sure, and hooked up an experience where we actually trained for a day with Miss West Virginia from 2012. So quite the day I, I drove to uh, West Virginia in order to do that. I ended up in Pittsburgh watching one of the Penguins games so it's quite the experience. Wow. And I just want to say, you know, you're, you think you're just listening to Jared's story, but what you're hearing is the way Jared thinks. He decided he wanted to do some health experiments, like, you know, what would happen if you had better posture? How do you get... And this is the way he thinks. And then... Yeah, or he, like... Yeah, just, you uh, don't just I, think, you do, which is even more impressive. And I think that's the yeah. difference between people that are successful and not successful, is that some people just think about it and others actually do something about it. And you take do to another level. Yeah, thanks, man. I actually uh, just started a series of health experiments uh, again this week where for the next six weeks I'm trying out a different uh, popular diet. So this week I'm doing uh, a Ramadan-esque type diet where I'm fasting throughout the day and only eating before sunrise and after sunset. And then I'll be juicing next week, uh, doing Soylent only the third week, followed by raw diets, vegan, and paleo. So, yeah, it's simply... Why, why not do things? You know, why not experiment and do it in a very, uh, you know, database way, but go also ahead a very health conscious way. Yeah, but not even just for the health experiments, even for you know, running your business or even for running or, or just designing your life. You know, I, I'm thinking about what are calculated risks I can take and different experiments I can try, you know, who knows what's going to happen, I might actually find something that's better than what I was doing before. Wow, great. What a way to think. Now, you also mentioned that you worked with some New York Times best-selling authors. Uh, who have you worked with there? Who have you been hanging out with during this gap year? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I can't disclose 
who I've consulted for, but in terms of people that I've interviewed for the gap year experiment and who, you know, even there's a couple that endorsed 2 billion under 20. Um, so I both interviewed, uh, Tony Shea and Keith Ferrazzi and both of them endorsed my first book. I've uh, been able to interview, um, Neil Strauss, who's bestselling author of the game. And actually another great pickup line, since you brought it up earlier, is that I, uh, romantically stared down the world's top pickup artist last year, who by many people would be Neil Strauss. And that's actually how I met, you know, and that's actually how I met him was at a business conference and we were doing some sort of meditation warm-up and had to like stare down a partner and I had no idea who Neil Strauss was, but he was my partner. Oh, wow. And uh, I later found out that he wrote the number one book in the pickup artist world, which I'm personally not a fan of the pickup artist world. I'm very much against, you know, objectifying women, but uh, it was just a really funny experience. And, and again, just adds to just the, the rarity and weirdness of it all. But, it, but also the fun. Yeah, and I'm not so sure I have a problem with objectifying women as long as they are willing to and accept, and it's equal, prid quo, uh, what, prid quo, quo, I forget it, but you get what I'm saying. It's got to be equal. They need to objectify men and should. We should all be objectified as beautiful people, not for our sex, race, color, or anything, but we should be respected. And and really, I, I think uh, when the word objectify is such a dangerous term uh, and, and used sometimes the wrong way, but I know that if you respect somebody and you admire them, and you uh, admire them for their for what's inside as well as outside. I mean, that's the kind of objectifying that I like. So, uh, but I yeah. like I like your you you know you're you're a sharp dude. Now, I just want to say again, you know, you you talked about people that are endorsing your first book. You know, you're 19. There are people that are 29, 39, 49, even 59 that have been thinking about writing books for years, and still haven't done it. And you're talking about oh, this was my first book. Now, Keith Ferrazzi. Tony Shea, best-selling authors. Tony runs, you know, Amazon. Uh, uh, well, he Amazon bought out Zappos.com, but he founded and started Zappos. He's still running it. I mean, you're hanging around with some pretty cool people. Yeah, I've been I've been fortunate, and you know, a lot of that comes from having amazing mentors. You know, I include you as one of those mentors. Well, thank um, you. A lot of that comes from just being in the right place, and I also you know, try and remain flexible. So if people are offering, you know, opportunities for me to come to conferences or if they're offering introductions or, you know, different speaking opportunities, I, I try and say yes to as many of those as possible. And, you know, sure, it's, it's more of an experimental mindset. And then once you're finding, you know, certain projects that are going well, like I'm, I'm finding that 2 million under 20 is going well, the gap year experiment is going well, consulting is going well. Now I'm at a point where, I'm, I'm not saying yes to as many things, and I'm trying to say no to more things so that I can really focus and double down on the opportunities at hand. But you know, in the last three, four years, I've you know, been fortunate enough to spend most of my time studying, interacting with, and befriending literally hundreds of the world's smartest and most talented millennials and also the mentors they look up to and I look up to. So that's, that's how I've spent most of my time, and the results show. And then able to get people like that to generously, you know, donate a blurb for the book and have them as, uh, as interviewees for my second book. 
But it's, it's much more than that, and everybody needs to really hear what's going on. We're not just listening to a story. We're listening to somebody that is sharing experience, and they are ex- the experience sharing, I think, is a key piece to learning. Uh, Jared said he is flexible, that he is experimenting. And by the way, when and I'm not talking about experimenting with drugs and alcohol at a young age. We're talking about exper- experimenting with life with important things in life, different businesses, uh, different ways that healthy people eat, different, there's all types of experiments that he's in. So flexibility, open-mindedness, looking for opportunity. These are all the things that I hear Jared talking about. Everybody. And thank you. Thank you for clarifying with the audience. I'm not a cocaine addict. And no doubt about that. We know that. But really, that I mean, what you're doing is you're you're basically doing what a lot of people think about. You're doing what a lot of people read about. I, I think that's uh, uh, I, again. I mentioned it before. The difference between those that are successful sometimes and those that aren't is, is people don't just think; they actually go out and do. Everybody, you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. My name's Chef Hike, and we've been talking with Jared Kleiner. When we come back, we're going to talk about exactly what is two billion under 20. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here, and we are back on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It. We're with Jared Kleinert. We've been talking about, boy, his mindset and his lifestyle. Uh, and now we're going to talk about uh, what his book's about and the $2 billion under 20. So, Jared, you know, tell us a little bit about it. I've only seen, uh, I guess, drafts of it, and I, I'm not sure. Have I seen the cover? Maybe. Um, not sure. Well, tell us about the book, $2 billion under 20. Yeah, so the the full title is Two Billion Under Twenty: How Millennials Are Breaking Down Age Barriers and Changing the World. And what we did is we brought together seventy five of the world's smartest, the most talented young people we could find, from Olympians to teenage entrepreneurs, singers, actors, nuclear scientists, uh, kids starting crazy social movements, etc., uh, from all walks of life in over twenty different countries, and had them share their own first person experiences and stories in order to get the 2 billion people in the world under 20 to act on their passions in life, and then also help the other 5 billion learn how millennials tick, and you know, for companies, better help them market to millennials, hire millennials, things like that. Um, and really just disprove this whole notion that millennials are you know, lazy or stupid or entitled. Um, that's what the book's going for, and we're, uh, we're super excited for it. It comes out July 28th. I had an amazing co-author on the project who uh, is Stacy Ferreira. She's a 22-year-old entrepreneur, and her claim to fame was she raised a million dollars from Richard Branson and a couple other people at 18 when she started her first company with her brother and sold her first company at 20. So she's one of the oh youngest female tech entrepreneurs to ever sell a company, and she's been an amazing co-author. We had... Uh, or we had Blake Masters write a, an amazing forward for the book. He was the co-author to Peter Thiel for Zero to One that just released a few months ago. And it's just been a really, really fun project. And not only is it insightful, but I've also made quite a lot of cool friends out of it. So millennials have a bad rap. Uh, you said they're they're lazy, they're entitled, 
Isn't that yeah, so like if, most if teenagers? Of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're in front of a computer right now, if you go onto Google and you type in millennials are, you know how you get a, a drop-down, like an auto-suggestion drop-down? Right. Most of those will say stupid, entitled, the next hippies, drinking too much wine. There, you know, if, they, if you get 10 auto-suggestions, one of them will be positive and nine will be negative. And that that happens because of how many times people search for things. So you know, it's not Google's fault, but it's just the, the general population is, has been very skeptical of millennials. And it's, it's sad because I've seen the complete opposite in the last three, four years. Right. And again, I'll, I'll say that you know, teenagers in general, I remember when I was a kid, my parents thought uh, you could have used any one of those adjectives, although maybe not the drinking wine, but uh, any of those others, lazy, likes to sleep late, doesn't work hard, bad work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. And frankly, as I look back at my past, I had a pretty great work ethic. It just interestingly wasn't exactly what my parents thought that I would be doing. Uh, that the You know, I did have a, a regular summer job, but I still practiced my music and I practiced my magic tricks and I actually had a magic show business that was making more money than my teachers were making in school. But for whatever reason, my parents looked at me and said, work ethic, not so strong. <laughs> Maybe it's because it wasn't yeah, a traditional think, regular um, job, you know? Yeah, I think I think that's one of the problems actually is that, you know, with each new generation comes a new set of jobs and comes a new set of mindsets and ways of thinking about things. And sure, we'll still have the same um, fundamentals in, in most places, at least. I know my, my personal favorite book is Napoleon Hill's Law of Success, which was written in the 1920s. And a lot of my thought patterns and fundamentals will come from that book. And that was written, you know, what, five generations ago? But Yeah, the, and every one of those path, principles are still accurate and true today. Right, but the the places that I'm applying them have changed, and that's potentially where different generations have a tough time interacting with one another and, and maybe even respecting one another. So that's probably the same uh, reason that you had a problem with your parents is the same reason I have had a disconnect with generations older than me and, and so forth. I can't imagine that your parents or anybody... Uh, who knows you would call you lazy or not motivated, uh, entitled, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, just, I mean, from the moment that I met you when you were at the time only 17, I mean, it was obvious that I was talking to somebody that was extraordinary, somebody that was willing to get up early on a Saturday morning to come and hear a speaker talk about being in the speaking business. Uh, so, yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it's not about me. You know, it's more, it's more just about the, the generation at large. And, right. You know, I, I think that, yes, every generation is going to view their younger predecessors as you know, lazy or entitled, uh, maybe because they're the parents of those guys and have to have, have taken care of them for the last 18 years and maybe are you know, wondering what they could have done with those, uh, all that money in those 18 years and if they didn't have to pay for school. Um, you know, it's, it's also um, maybe they view younger generations as a threat because there is a new age of thinking, and especially in the, the corporate world where things are changing so fast, and you have younger generations that, they, that can think more quickly, and that are just bringing in a fresh new mindset. There might be even threats to the, the standards that people are just scared of. Well, I think, so you know, I, I, don't know if, if that's, I don't know if that's part of it, but I know this. 
is that it's probably that uh, an older generation doesn't look at the younger generation as a peer yet. And I think that's part of the problem. The other part is they recognize, and I think truthfully so for the most part, is that education does not equate to wisdom. It equates to knowledge. And the only way you, you gain wisdom is through experience and using that sure. knowledge. And, you know, a few people like yourself have actually created amazing experiences that you've gained a wealth of knowledge and wisdom uh, at a young age because of all that you've done. And, you know, so maybe you're a little bit ahead of the curve on that one, but, you know, that may be part of it. So, you know, it's obvious you're breaking down some of the barriers. Tell us about some of the people that are in the book that, you know, have some amazing stories. Yeah, I mean, we, we cover pretty much all different types of industries. I'll, I'll keep most of them in the business world because that's probably where most of us are listening if we're, you know, if that's the, the topic of the show. But, uh, you know, we have young entrepreneurs who have built apps that, Beat out Angry Birds on the App Store. Um, we have you know, people like my co-author who have built amazing businesses. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's so many different stories. Uh, and we have like what, one of my favorites actually with uh, a business, two business moguls in mind is one of the girls, Ariel Zing. She's actually an Olympic ping pong player, and not only has she competed in the London 24 Games, but even before that. Uh, she was noticed by Warren Buffett for her amazing skills. And ever since, like, seven or eight, Warren's been inviting her to the Berkshire Hathaway meetings to play ping pong with everyone. And so you know, now she's crushing a billionaire in ping pong at these Berkshire Hathaway meetings. And then Bill Gates comes along, and she's playing him in ping pong. And so now she's not only an Olympic ping pong player, but she also has Uncle Bill and Uncle Warren in her corner, as she refers to. So that's just a, that's a really funny story in terms of you know, the the intersection between sports and business and even just those billionaires in mind. And so, um, what does she a, do with that intersection? What does she do with that? Um, I mean, it's a gift to be able to hang with these people. Uh, what's the takeaway there? Yeah, the takeaway. I don't. I don't know if she has discovered that yet, or I don't know um, if she's going to pursue business. I know right now she's at Princeton. And she's getting ready for the 2016 games, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. That's uh, that's an amazing relationship that they right. they all have. So so many times then, we meet people along the way, and things happen to us along the way that we don't really. We just think it's part of the journey when really it could be a big piece of it if we took the time to, um, you know, recognize here's something that's fallen in my lap. Uh, how can I best serve? this or use it or benefit or help others as a result of it? Sure. Yeah, I'll give you two more examples. Um, another one that comes to mind is Kevin Briel. And Kevin has a TED Talk that's one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. I think he has about 3 million views on his video, which is the same uh, or in the same ranks as like Steve Jobs or Bill Gates or anyone in the top 10 or top 50 TED Talks of all time. And he uses his gift of public speaking uh, to talk about mental health and to talk about anxiety and all the different things that most of us don't talk about, um, especially in terms of entrepreneurship. So there's, there's an extra strain on people's mental health and depression when you take an entrepreneurial path. And Kevin is really spotlighting that and then bringing it into college markets, especially 
because he's also a comedian. So he's able to talk about these really important and hard to talk about issues in a very funny way using his, his gift of stage presence and of speaking. Wow. So and how old is Kevin? Um, Kevin's probably 21. Wow. 21. And, and he's talking about this. My guess is, is he's experienced some of this himself. I, I think so, and you know, he's, he writes about it as well for a lot of the major outlets. You know, he's a full-time speaker, it's a full-time business for him, and he's doing very well. Wow. Um, and then I think the third one, if we want to throw uh, some international flair into the mix, is uh, Bonnie Dell is one of my friends who's in the book. He's a Nigerian entrepreneur, and he grew up without access to computers or any of the real resources that we had. But he found out about this technology of a computer and had his family and the church get enough money together to get a computer for him. And he got this computer. He learned how to program it, and he learned how to use it properly. Um, ended up starting a blog called Writers in Charge and built up a following over time. And now he employs up to 10 people at one time and has a, a large following that he's delivering constant value to and has turned that into a very successful leadership business for himself so much so that he's been able to take some of that money and reinvest it into fish farming and into other ventures so he's an amazing example of you know someone who really hustled for access to what a lot of us take for granted which is a computer and then learned how to use a now level playing field in terms of the internet and technology to create uh, wealth and success for himself at a young age. And not only just for himself, it sounds like he's creating jobs for and others, for others and, yeah. and helping others out. Uh, it's amazing. And those are three of the two billion under 20. You know, we're talking here to Jared Kleinert, who is just 19, but an incredible entrepreneur. Forbes called him the definition of social entrepreneurship. This is amazing. This is the CBS Radio Digital Network, and you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. My name's Shep Hyken. Stand by. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and we're talking with Jared Kleinert, and we've been talking about $2 billion under 20. He just gave us three great examples of three amazing people uh, who've done some pretty cool things at such a young age. Uh, Jared, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an older guy, but I'm in an older generation. Uh, I do hire people. I've hired millennials. Uh, we have a millennial working for us right now. Uh, unfortunately, when she goes back to college, we're going to miss her, but she's doing an amazing job. You know, and I know there's, as you mentioned earlier, if you put into the Google search, you know, millennials are and left it blank, a bunch of words would come up. You know, I find that to be quite, quite the opposite. The way we find our interns and some of the people that we've hired is we'll go to the colleges, we'll make a post and we'll say, this is who we are. Learn more at the website. When you come to work for us, we want to know what you're going to do for us. And these kids show up with PowerPoint presentations like they're pitching major uh, clients from an ad agency. I mean, they're everything opposite of what some people would think. So, Jared, you're not just a millennial. You're an exceptional 
person, but tell us. I mean, this is what you do. This is who you're with. These are the people that you're studying and writing about. How can we better work with them? What can we do to better engage and, and have a great relationship between generations? Sure. I, I think, you know, if, if, you're a, if you're a business owner right now or if you're in, in the corporate world, I think you're actually in luck because while over 90% of millennials kind of subscribe to more entrepreneurial thinking and want to be entrepreneurs, you then have the flip side of the economy where we have you know higher student loans than ever before and it's just harder for people to take risks. So you have all these really entrepreneurial thinkers, unlike ever before, uh, yet we're taking less and less risks and are starting less companies uh, than previously, and they ha- you have the opportunity to have them come work at your company. So and one of the things that you have to understand about the millennial generation is they are going to be more entrepreneurial-minded than other generations. And that's a very good thing. And, and why is that? Become, why is that? Because they can become entrepreneurs at your company. And if you set up kind of an entrepreneurial structure or an entrepreneurial structure at your company, such as you probably do with your interns, um, they're going to wow you. you know, they, we want to take ownership of certain projects. We want to feel as if the brands we're working for, the companies we're working for, or even companies we're partnering with are our own. And if if you give a millennial uh, space to operate and you give them all the necessary tools and then let them run off on their own, they're going to do amazing things. So, so here's, here's a secret. Google does this. And it's not about millennials. It's about everybody. And I think this is maybe more appropriate for millennials because you said they're coming from an entrepreneurial uh, mindset more so than most teenagers might come out of. And that's part of the way they were raised and part of what the generation has promoted and, and what the world has promoted them. But here's what Google does. A portion of everybody's job gets to be what that that employee chooses to do based on their passion and their love. So if you give a millennial a project that they're interested, let them own it. And by the way, it could be a small percentage of their day-to-day work, but maybe it's just 10%. At least they own something that they love. And if you give somebody something that they love, what happens? They become fulfilled. Fulfilled people are more engaged and it does, I don't think that matters if you're a millennial or if you're a, a baby boomer, you know, from the other extreme of people that are out there in the workforce. But I believe that when you have engaged and fulfilled people, you have a better workforce that will work harder and go to the mat to take care of the company and their customers. Sure. Yeah, and then there's, you know, there's a clear distinction, uh, at least in the millennials' eyes and even in, in the eyes of Generation Z, who are probably the 16 and unders, who will be in the workforce in five, ten years? Um, we can tell when companies are, you know, really trying hard to engage us and are in tr- are trying to learn how we tick versus kind of half-assing it. Uh, I was reading an article today in in Fortune actually um, that was written probably ten days ago or so, and the CEO of Taco Bell has a millennial word of the day. And I just thought it was the most ridiculous thing because the the CEO, yes, he's trying, but he's, he's teaching himself words like fleek and on point and, you know, lit and different things that, you know, some of my peers will say, uh, kind of just slang words. But, you know, having a millennial the word of the day isn't necessarily changing your company. 
you know, it's maybe you're learning a little bit of street terminology or slang, but you're not actually and actively trying to engage millennial talent. You're not actually speaking to them and trying to close feedback loops on what support they need or what they are looking to create in your company. You know, how, when was the last time you surveyed your employees to see, hey, do you have a good idea for our company or you know, what, what new ideas could you bring to the table? You know, I think if more corporate companies did that with some of their front-level employees, they might get really genius solutions. And you can get those from, from fast-thinking people who are kind of on the ground that you might not even think of. You're, I'm sure your interns at your company, Chef, have brought you some amazing ideas. They have. They've been doing great work. And, and you know, we ask, do you like what you're doing? That's one of the most important things. I want to know, uh, and this is what we do with all of the people that work for us, at the end of a month, they say, so what do you like so far? What, what's your favorite part of the job? And I really want to know at the end of three months. Now, most interns are here for a summer, so they're usually leaving by that time. But, you know, our, our intern of the summer this year, I mean, within a couple of weeks, we go, what are we doing or what are you doing or what are we asking you to do that you enjoy doing most? Let's make sure you do more of that. Because if you're good at it, if you enjoy it and you're good at it, we want you to get better at it because it's only going to help us. And, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's one thing you're doing is you're you're creating and then continuing and closing these feedback loops, which is a way to just talk to any employee, not just a millennial employee. Um, but you're not using like a word of the month to talk to your new interns and try and be cool with them. You're actually including them in in all your conversations, and you're getting results from it. Right. I, I don't that's know. The, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and I don't want to slam the, the Taco Bell CEO for ca- trying to come up with a word of a month to better relate to millennials. I'm sure that the majority right, of who he's it's, hiring I is think it's cool. Yeah, but yeah, it's not a. It's not paradigm shifting. No, use, no, uh, no. But you know what? Keywords. You know, and I've always said, you know, you can change phraseology in your company, but that doesn't always change culture. But it could add to it if it's done properly, and. Maybe that's just uh, him saying, okay, uh, let's have some fun with it. And I'm not defending him. I don't know. But I know that at Taco Bell, the average age is millennial. <laughs> you know, it's not, sure. it's not uh, you know, anything beyond that. I mean, they're sure they have older employees and, and even, you know, uh, you know, some, you know, of the, you know, older baby boomers that may be working there, you know, for some of the shifts and some of the jobs. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, who are we, we – employing there you know it's a lot of millennials and i think that to do that you've got to create an environment you've got to create a structure and a management structure a leadership structure that supports that and makes these people want to go and work hard and do a great job because at the end of the day i don't like it when an employee comes in and works for the paycheck that's what some people do i want my employees to work for the company and they get paid as a result of that and it's a subtle mind shift but there was an old story, uh, and you bring up Napoleon Hill. Somebody probably, uh, he's passed away, and he probably, was, uh, he probably knew Napoleon Hill personally was Zig Ziglar. And Zig used to tell a story about uh, a guy working on the railroad. He's out there working with the rest of the workers, and up pulls a limousine, and out jumps a gentleman in a, in a business suit. And he walks by this guy, and he says, hey, Charlie, how you doing? And Charlie says, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Hey, make sure you tell the kids hello. And this guy in the suit walks away, and this guy who's been working on the railroad tracks, his colleague says, who is that? Oh, that was the president of the railroad. We started working here together. Well, really, how come you're still working here? 
outside, and he's <laughs> the president. And and the moral of the story is when the guy said, well, you know, 25 years ago when we started, I started working for a paycheck, and he went to work for the railroad. Mm. Pretty cool story. And I think that that's what, the, that's what you want. You want that, whether it be a millennial or anybody, and I know we're talking about millennials, and we're talking about some of the issues that employers have with them, but if you can create that ownership, that mindset, uh, there was an 18-year-old kid that was proud because one of his guests at the pizza parlor that he worked at asked him, are you the owner or the son of the owner? And the reason they asked is because they watched how this kid was taking so much pride in the work that he did. And, and his goal at that point was, I want every guest to think that I'm the owner. How cool is that? Well, you, you bring up an important point because I, I'm sure one of, the, you know, one of the things that has been frustrating for not only employers but employees is that there's just no loyalty anymore to companies. Um, or, or, you know, employers aren't really as loyal to employees as they were in the past. You know, the, in generations prior, the narrative was that you can go to high school, get great marks, go to college, get great marks, go to an employer, be there for 40 years, retire with the Rolex. Um, now it's, you know, people are changing job 10, 12, 15 times in a career. And on an employee side, they are cognizant of that and they know that, you know, they have to become, that's, that's part of the reason why they're more entrepreneurial is because they know they're going to have to really shape their own career rather than climb a corporate ladder per se. But one of the things that, you know, you can think about is if you can really engage someone and you can really create that sense of ownership, you can in fact get them for life or get them for a lot longer than a two or three year stint. And some, some companies that are doing this really well are Tesla or SpaceX, which are both under Elon Musk, and people are just, you know, they, they go to those companies, and it's, it's hard to become an employee of those companies, but there's a sense of ownership, and there's a sense of, you know, purpose in what they're doing, whether they're trying to get into space or while they're trying to reinvent the car industry. You know, same with Apple, they've always had this sense of purpose or, you know, real move, movement forward. Uh, Google even, Zappos, if we're going to talk about Tony. And they're doing some creative things with their um, corporate structure, which um, we may or may not want to talk about. But these these companies are creating places that are not only fun to work at, but also are doing really meaningful work and therefore able to retain people young and old because they're so entrenched in what they're doing. So this is it's great not just information. Right. And, and, and right. sometimes it's not about the paycheck. You have to pay enough, but if you can give them the experience, and I think the pay should be commiserate with some of the uh, duties and responsibilities that somebody has. So if you, you're fair and you give the experience and you show that you care and you make them feel as if they're valued. I know that's a really important thing. One of my employees, uh, a millennial who worked for me, said, I just don't want you what was her line? She says, I don't just want to come to a place that uh, wants me here for the job. I want them to want me because it's me doing the job. And I thought, okay, there's a subtle difference there, but it's a pretty big difference. We just don't want the body. We want to care about the person too. And I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. The the companies that you see having some success in Silicon Valley, the ones that are going from a, a seed round of funding to series A to series B, uh, in large part are doing that because they hire great people early on. 
And the only way they're doing that and, and stealing these people away from the Googles and the Apples to come work at some startup that might run out of funding in eight months is because they have such a strong um, vision and mission and they really value the skill sets of whoever's coming on board. So you know, it's, it would be interesting if more uh, corporates or, or more you know, longer-standing companies actually thought in the, the dire needs that startups do. That might actually be an interesting experiment. So it would be. Well, we are almost out of time, so I'm going to ask you the final question. Uh, if there's one thing you want us to remember about today's conversation or something you haven't shared that you absolutely want to put across, what is it? Wow, that's a, a good question. I, I gave you the yeah, zinger, I, and you know what? I, I, I'm going to apologize up front. I usually tell you I'm going to ask this question, but you're a pretty sharp dude. <laughs> so I know you've no, got I, the answer. <laughs> I, I have a, you know, I, I have two moon missions uh, that me and Stacy work towards with $2 billion under 20 that I would like the audience listening in to not only think about, but potentially even challenge them to join in. Um, and that would be that we're trying to get everyone to find and act on their passions in life, and then we're trying to get everyone to work together to solve the world's most pressing problems. Because if we don't do either, then we're going to be screwed in the future. So you know, the, the two mood missions and the takeaways would be find and act on your passions in life, and then work together with others to solve the world's most pressing problems. So that would be the, the takeaway, I'd leave. Wow. I, I'm, I mean, I'm amazed. Jared, you're an amazing guy. 19 years old, and this is the way you think. I know that you are going to do some amazing things, as I've seen you do amazing things just over the last two years. I can't wait to see how this journey continues for you. I know this, that when you're really big, famous, really wealthy, do you promise to remember me? Yeah, no, Shep, I, I really appreciate <laughs> you know, all, the, uh, all, the, all the teachings you've given me, and that's perhaps why I think the way I do is because I really... I brainwashed myself with really good mentors and I read a lot and try and put myself in places I can learn more. So, you know, I definitely do appreciate everything that you've taught me in the last few years and, and this opportunity to, to share my story once again. Well, and there'll be a lot more of this, I'm sure. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is why we call this amazing business radio because we have amazing people like Jared come on the show and share what they're thinking. You are an extremely deep thinker, Jared. You're an amazing man. Again, can't wait to see what happens. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is Amazing Business Radio. My name's Shep Hyken, and remember, stay amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.